Hello and welcome to Calling All Detectives from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Calling All Detectives. There generally isn't much doubt about who's dead and who's alive. But I was once asked to prove that a dead man who claimed to be alive was really dead. That is the situation on this page from my casebook, the casebook of Jerry Browning, Private Detective. Of all the cases a private detective like me, Jerry Browning, handles, the toughest are the ones where I don't even know what kind of a crime was committed. John Cooley, head of the investigations department for Consolidated Insurance, gave me the benevolent stare of a hungry tiger as he swallowed his pills. Browning, last week I asked you to locate Mrs. Margaret Walcott, widow of the late Jonathan Walcott. Where is she? I shrugged. I don't know, Mr. Cooley. She left town about eight months ago, present whereabouts unknown. How badly do you want her? Cooley pulled a file folder to him. Jonathan Walcott, 49, died about a year ago. Cause of death, heart failure. Place of death, Greencrest, North Carolina, a summer resort. Beneficiary, Margaret Walcott, widow, paid $25,000 in two policies, both written by us. I nodded. You think there was some funny business about the death, Mr. Cooley? Cooley got up from his chair, walked to the door. Come in, please. A tall, heavily tanned, middle-aged man walked into Cooley's office. Browning, let me introduce to you a gentleman who says he is Jonathan Walcott. The tanned man offered his hand. Yep, been in South America the past year, come in to pay up my premiums, they tell me I'm dead. <laughs> but if you're Walcott, then who is buried at Greencrest? Walcott sat down, crossed his legs. Sonny, maybe you should look into that. After an insurance company paid a $25,000 policy, a man showed up to pay his premium and claimed he was the person who'd been declared dead. Walcott grinned at us. Since I'm not dead, I guess you folks will just have to reinstate my policy. Cooley opened his mouth, then closed it again. I said, Mr. Walcott, assuming you are Mr. Walcott, you know what this means, I hope. Your wife is criminally liable for having accepted payment on the policy and may possibly even face a murder charge. Walcott's smile didn't waver. My wife is an impulsive woman. Maybe this will teach her a lesson. She got up. If you want me, gentlemen, I'm at the Carlton Hotel. There were two ways to attack the case. First, to prove that the man who called himself Walcott was a liar. And second, to assume he was telling the truth, which meant finding the missing widow. In either case, the first thing to do was... I stood alongside the district attorney, the police chief, and a reporter in the little cemetery at Greencrest, North Carolina, and watched as a group of workmen opened the grave of Jonathan Walcott. A couple of minutes later, depending on what we saw, I was prepared to follow up one of my two possibilities, that the real Walcott was either dead or alive. I wasn't prepared for a third possibility, that the coffin would be empty. It was empty.
The office of Dr. Marbridge was one flight above the Greencrest Bank. The doctor was a pleasant-faced young man, crisp and professional-looking. You say I signed the death certificate for Jonathan Walcott? Well, you must be mistaken, Mr. Browning. This is a photostat of the death certificate, doctor. Isn't that your signature? No, I'm sorry to say it is not. That is my father's signature. He died three months ago. In his hotel suite, the man who called himself Walcott was hugely amused. <laughs> Went to all the trouble to check on me in South America, didn't you, young feller? I shrugged, smiled. Knew I would. Everything about your story checks. But you still haven't proved that you are the Jonathan Walcott. Who can you get to identify you that's acceptable to us? My wife, if you can find her. Never made any friends, always traveled a lot. Of course, you could compare my signatures. We have compared them. They either match or they're very good forgeries. Walcott stopped smiling. Now listen, Sonny. I'm finished being good-natured. I've got $20,000 equity in my policies. Will your company pay them or do we go to court? I'll let you know in 24 hours. I had no idea what I could do in the time left. I was simply stalling. The 24 hours passed, and I had nothing new. Not even instructions from Cooley, who refused to see me. When the time limit expired, I went back to Walcott. Mr. Walcott, I've got good news. We found your wife. She's being brought back here, and the identification question will be settled. I don't believe it. You're trying to gain time. I'm filing suit next Monday. Well, I, I had been stalling. I didn't have the faintest idea where to find Margaret Walcott. But now I had more than an idea. I was practically positive. Urgent, you checked. Margaret Walcott, deceased within past six months. Report soonest. Jerry Browning, collect. I sent my telegrams late Friday. By Saturday, I had my answer from Oklahoma. Margaret Walcott died and buried in Tulsa March this year. Coronary. Now I knew why Walcott didn't believe I could produce the widow. Because he knew that she was dead. But if he was really who he claimed to be, why had he kept from us his knowledge of Mrs. Walcott's death? In Tulsa, I learned all there was to be known about Margaret Walcott. Including that she'd gone to Tulsa shortly after her husband's death because her sister lived in that city. Her sister was also her heir, and had inherited Margaret's estate. I had a talk with the sister, then... We confronted the man who claimed to be Jonathan Walcott with the dead woman's sister in John Cooley's office. It was quite a meeting, especially since the sister told the imposter that she had been the bridesmaid at the wedding of Margaret and Jonathan Walcott. This time, John Cooley didn't shut his mouth. You will sign this confession immediately, stating that you impersonated Jonathan Walcott in order to defraud this insurance company. You will further tell us where you hid Walcott's body. Under those circumstances, we may be somewhat lenient. Yeah, he confessed. What else could he do when confronted with his supposed wife's sister? He admitted that his name was really Joseph Hazel, that he'd met Margaret Walcott shortly after Jonathan's death, and realized that the circumstances were ideal for an insurance fraud. Knowing that Mrs. Walcott would not long survive, Hazel carefully established an identity for himself as Walcott, then waited for Margaret to die. 
The only thing he had to fear was that we'd learn about her death and through that knowledge find some member of her family who could brand him as a fraud. Well, we didn't prosecute him because the only charge we could have proved was desecrating a grave when he moved the real Jonathan Walcott's body. You see, Margaret Walcott's sister couldn't have branded him an imposter in court. She was the only living relative of the deceased couple, and she had never met the real Jonathan Walcott. <laughs> but that was a small fact the imposter didn't know. Like I said, it sometimes doesn't make any difference whether you can prove a criminal's guilt or not. Just so he thinks you can. Listen next time to Calling All Detectives. Mystery drama, mystery quiz, and a chance for you to match wits with yours truly, Jerry Browning, Private Detective. <laughs>